0: And welcome to the Microbiome Matters podcast, a show brought to you by the Yakult Science Team, the team on a mission to make the science on gut health easy to digest. This podcast covers all matters of the gut microbiome, exploring that magnificent ecosystem residing in each and every one of us. And each week, we're joined by guests from clinical practice and research who will bring you their expert insights on the topic. So if you're a healthcare professional, make sure you like, subscribe and tune in each week to learn exactly why the microbiome matters.
1: Hello and welcome to the Microbiome Matters podcast. I'm Nathan.
2: And I'm Brett,
1: And today we are joined by Caitlin Colucci. Caitlin is a UK-registered dietitian specialising in gut and digestive health, as well as general health and well-being. She is considered one of the leading gut health experts in her field and is the founder of the KC Nutrition Online Gut Health and Clinic and the Mission Dietitian Instagram. In addition to her degree from the University of Nottingham, Caitlin is also a British Dietetic Association media spokesperson and over the past five years has appeared on shows such as BBC Countryfile, BBC Food Truth or Scare, and Channel 4's Food Unwrapped and written for publications such as Women's Health and The Daily Mail. Caitlin's favourite part about having built her business is being able to connect with people from all over the globe. To connect with Caitlin, you can follow her on our social media channels at The Mission Dietitian or visit her website at www.caitlincolucci.com. In Series 6, we'll be uh, talking to our expert guests about how the gut microbiome may be an important consideration at key periods in the lifespan. Today, we'll be talking to Caitlin about the gut microbiota, different considerations for female and male physiology and how the female gut microbiota may differ from males. So it's finally great to speak to you, Caitlin. Um, but before we get on to the actual questions, uh, looking back at your career, as you've done many media works and publications, was there any point in your career where you've ever felt that gut feeling or ever followed your gut? And where did that lead you in your career?
3: absolutely hi guys thank you so much for having me on to the podcast to talk about one of my favourite subjects Um, so yes absolutely I've had that gut feeling many many a times whether that be from wanting to take a jump into a different aspect of my career following my gut in terms of where my passions really lie um I definitely have listened to that gut feeling um so for example when I decided to leave the NHS and jump ship across to the private world um followed my gut feeling and that has opened up so many more doors for me and really led me into the career that I have today uh that's So that's probably the biggest one.
1: Yeah, it's great. I think everyone in their career has that gut feeling and just finding out where it takes them is always great to find out. Thank you. Absolutely. So firstly, um, what are the main differences between the physiology of the female and male digestive system?
3: So it's a really interesting question when we look at the differences between male and female uh, anatomy or physiology of the gut because kind of on paper, they do look pretty much the same it's estimated that a woman a woman's colon is roughly 10 centimeters longer than a man so pretty much the same really but what we do notice in women or in females is our intestines tend to be a lot more sort of convoluted a lot more twisted a lot more tortuous and that is sometimes the thing that can worsen or exacerbate gut symptoms in females rather than males Also, though, when we really do look at it, technically, we have, you know, the same length bowel or similar length bowel packed into a smaller frame. So what that does is it forces the colon to partially reside in the pelvis. And, you know, the female gut must share space with the bladder, multiple reproductive organs, uh, you know, our pelvic floor, our uterus. So it's all really kind of packed in there. And, you know, that potential added length of 10 centimetres and just the general complexity of the female GI system does cause food to move more slowly through that digestive tract. And it's estimated that it can take females up to 14 hours longer to move food through the large intestine compared to males. So women tend to have a slower transit. And you know, for example, even in my clinic, I tend to see men typically showing up with more diarrhea-predominant symptoms. Uh, you know, rarely do you see men with constipation, although you know that this does still happen in some instances. Um, and one of the key things is that bloating is a lot more common in women. Now, when we look at kind of why that might be, well, obviously, for females, we have our menstrual cycle, and also the menopause, which can affect it too. And transit time does vary um, at different times of the menstrual cycle. So, for example, during menstruation, uh, females produce a chemical or a hormone-like chemical called prostaglandin. And this is the chemical which is responsible for pain and inflammation. And in the cases of um, in the case sorry of menstruation, this prostaglandin can signal the wall of the uterus to contract and some individuals produce more prostaglandins than others, and in this case, the excess prostaglandin makes its way through the bloodstream and to the gut, and here, the prostaglandin can cause the bowel to contract, leading to an increase in diarrhea and a painful abdominal cramping. So a lot of women experience what they call these period poops. Well, this is kind of exactly why that happens. But then when we look at actually the luteal phase of menstruation, this is when the body produces an increased amount of the hormone called progesterone. And one of the effects of progesterone is in fact, relaxing smooth muscle. So the purpose of this in menstruation is to make sure that the uterus doesn't contract and therefore reject any potential or actual fertilized eggs. However, just as with the prostaglandins, uh, the effect doesn't always stay in the uterus and uh, progesterone can slow down the rate at which things move through the gut, causing this constipation. So because of these huge hormonal fluctuations, it can really impact our GI system, the function of it, uh, the severity of symptoms we get, our fluid retention, bloating, constipation. Um, And basically what we're seeing is, you know, symptoms present the same in males and females, and they're being treated the same, when actually kind of all these unique features to females should essentially be resulting in a different assessment different diagnosis and essentially different treatment options for women well it's really fascinating to hear the you know about how the world
2: of the gastrointestinal tract the digestive tract can be so different you know in those those responses to hormones in females um, and how you might see similar symptoms but you know very different underpinning behind why they might be happening Uh, so Just moving on from that, you've sort of mentioned some of the um, areas of gut health where patients might need support, but could you talk through your approach to working with these patients um, and how you might support them with their gut health?
3: Absolutely. So, I mean, when we look at something called uh, IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome in particular, Um, You know, IBS is thought to be about three times more common in women than it is in men. And in general, IBS affects one in five of the UK population. So that's about 20% of the population. And it's estimated that roughly seven in 10 of these people are women. So definitely a much higher percentage. So if my maths is right, that would be every three or four out of five people with IBS would be women rather than men and because of the you know longer colon and the convoluted twistiness this can make women more prone to bloating and abdominal discomfort and what i find is that women are particularly more sensitive to the changes in hormones in the body and that is probably due to the fact that females have sort of loads more estrogen and progesterone receptors on the gut and then when you look at people with ibs those people have even more of these receptors in the gut. So women with IBS are kind of then oversensitive and hypersensitive to all of these hormone fluctuations. And there is some new research kind of now looking at something called the estrobolome. And I never know if I've pronounced that really correctly, but it's essentially a collection of bacteria in the gut, which is capable of metabolizing and modulating the body's circulating estrogen levels. So it's the bacteria in our gut, known as this gut microbiome, and the interaction with the estrobolome that affects the estrogen levels, which in turn can impact things like patients' weight, their libido, their mood. But obviously, as with all the areas of research and the gut microbiome, which I will talk about more later on, um, much more research is needed to really start to draw conclusions on all of this. But I think your question was more around how I can support people with their gut health. So kind of bearing all of this in mind when working with women, the number one thing I get them to do is, as well as tracking their food and symptoms, to track their menstrual cycle. Because you really can start to see patterns and trends in regards to gut symptoms at different times of the menstrual cycle, When you have that knowledge and that power it can really be quite insightful to understanding how to treat your gut at different times of the month and we really want to kind of start looking after our gut health by looking after our gut microbiome. I suppose another thing in terms of working with people who have kind of gut disorders and looking after their gut health is, you know, we focus a lot on the gut end, of course, we're talking about gut health. But when we look at things like IBS, for example, you know, IBS is now considered a disorder of the gut-brain interaction. So the gut-brain axis is this two-way communication pathway in which the gut and the brain are constantly communicating to each other back and forth. And that's really important because When we're stressed, for example, or we've had a really busy day, this activates our sympathetic nervous system. So that's otherwise known as our fight or flight nervous system. And this can really increase the sensitivity of those gut muscles, increase the uptake of those hormone receptors in the gut, and can therefore really trigger those abdominal symptoms. So as well as focusing on diet and improving gut health, I always like to focus on lifestyle and kind of targeting that brain end of that gut brain axis to essentially help switch on that parasympathetic nervous system, which is known as that rest and digest nervous system. And if we can activate that, that can really help to dampen or reduce some of the abdominal discomfort that a lot of these sort of patients are suffering from.
1: That's actually really fascinating to, to know that, there actually is a difference between the male and the female gut physiology i mean i thought beforehand they were practically the same but it's good to know how like you said that females do have a longer colon and this can affect uh different conditions like you said ibs is three times more prevalent in females and it's not only the physiology but also the hormones in females as well how that has a massive impact on the female gut so moving on um, as you previously mentioned about Hormones and the menstrual cycle. We know that there are changes in the gut microbiota across the lifespan. Are there any particularly challenging times for females in terms of changes to gut health?
3: Yes, absolutely. So I, I suppose the the key areas where we see the biggest fluctuations in these female sex hormones is during pregnancy and also during the perimenopause and the menopause. So during pregnancy. Progesterone levels can become very high, and this really does slow down gut motility. So, the rate at which things move through the digestive system. And we see this particularly within the first trimester. And women often report getting very constipated, um, which, you know, for people who typically suffer from diarrhoea-predominant IBS, this can actually be quite helpful for some of their symptoms. So, you know, again, women in that first trimester might find that, oh my God, my IBS symptoms have completely disappeared, or I'm feeling so much better in that sense. So that can kind of be quite helpful, obviously not so helpful for the women who are already suffering from constipation. You know, when our, when the uterus enlarges, this excess pressure on the gut can have an effect um and then when we're um getting you know when women are kind of getting prepared for childbirth we produce this hormone called relaxin uh which relaxes the ligaments in the pelvis and you know responsible for softening and widening the cervix but this can then again really slow down gut motility because it's slow it's relaxing those gut muscles as well um Women in pregnancy, we also see a lot of like upper GI symptoms, again, because of that intra-abdominal pressure, because of the, you know, fetus growing inside of them. So often women report things like reflux um, and also because gastric emptying slows down. So the rate at which things leave the stomach. So reflux is is more common. And so, you know, uh, pregnant women really want to make sure they're focusing or prioritizing gentle movement to help with the rate of things moving through the digestive system uh, making sure they're drinking enough fluid so everyone should be aiming for at least two liters of fluid every day and also prioritizing the right types of dietary fiber so when we come a little bit more constipated the instant reaction is to sometimes steer away from things like dietary fiber um, when actually it's about choosing the right types of dietary fiber in particular these kind of soluble fibers so fibers which act like a sponge in the gut and can really help to keep your stools and poop nice and soft and easy to pass so we're looking at things like oats like chia seeds um, and trying to have kind of daily portions of those Uh, So that's kind of pregnancy, I suppose, and some changes that we see. And then I'd also mentioned that the perimenopause and the menopause, we also see an increased incidence of gut symptoms over this menopause transition. So a quarter of women supposedly report reflux during early menopause, which can then improve kind of post-menopause. And IBS symptoms tend to get worse but then things also again can improve when they go through this and this was all taken from uh, a study done in Seattle called the SWAN study which looked at a group of women going through the menopause and it tracked their different gut symptoms and um, we typically tend to see an increase in constipation and bloating of men- women going through the menopause. And this is all due to sort of gut microbiota changes. Um, and what's really, really interesting is they compared the gut microbiome of postmenopausal women to males. And what they found was postmenopausal women have a gut microbiome much more similar to males compared to premenopausal women, which I just find really, really fascinating. Um, So yeah, that's kind of what we see at different stages of the female lifespan. It's really um, great to hear about
2: the progression of research around female health and how that's progressing with research on the gut microbiome as well. Um, So it's really interesting, I think, for our healthcare professional audience to hear about those differences and how they might get patients coming in at different stages in the lifespan and how there might be different um, almost different problems to solve and different problems to support patients with. Um, but yeah in your in your area of expertise in dietetics, we'd be really interested to hear about the most common nutritional or gut related queries that you get and are there any considerations here around female physiology? know you've started to touch on a few of those tips in your previous answer.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the number one gut related query that I get in clinic is about, around abdominal bloating, uh, especially with females, they suffer from this quite severe abdominal blo- bloating can really impact their body image, their self confidence, and uh, can really start to take over their life in a sense of it becomes a constant and continuous thought. So before I kind of dive into this a bit more, I do want everyone to know and reassure that their patients that it is important to remember, remember that a little bit of bloating in all females or males is entirely normal, you know, particularly after we've eaten a large meal or a high fibre meal. And actually, bloating can be a good sign that our gut microbes are doing what they should. So, you know, put simply, bloating is that feeling of increased pressure in the intestine, that in some people can cause this visible protrusion. Unfortunately, there is no one single cause of bloating, which I hope I've made clear kind of already, talking about all the different changes, particularly in in females. Um, But and, And it is much more complex than just sort of pointing the finger at what we've had to eat. And I think it's important to reassure patients of that. So, you know, bloating occurs because of gas production, so this build-up of pressure, after we eat or drink something bloating can also occur due to increased intestinal sensitivity known as hypersensitivity which we see particularly in people with IBS as I was explaining earlier because of that miscommunication between the gut and the brain bloating can also be due to kind of gas absorption so some people are less are able to absorb gas less well than others, so it kind of sits and feel and you feel very bloated. And in a small subset of people, bloating can occur due to um, uh, the reflex of the diaphragm. So, in people who experience this very severe sort of six-month pregnant looking bloating which lots of people describe uh that's due to triggers via the gut brain axis to contract the diaphragm and relax the stomach uh muscles in an attempt to relieve kind of the gut distress so again that comes back to this gut brain connection
1: yeah i think it's really great for our listeners that you emphasise the fact that abdominal bloating and bloating in general is a normal bodily function and that it's a sign that our gut microbes are doing their job correctly. So hopefully this clears up a few misconceptions about bloating. So sticking to the topic of clinical practice, what areas of future research would be most helpful to your clinical practice? What are the current gaps in research and what direction would you see this going in?
3: Oh, such a good question. Um, And I definitely think that there needs to be more research looking at the differences between males and females. Because up until this point, we really only have studies including potentially both, or looking more specifically at males rather than females. Um, So I think and again, we need to look at women at different stages of their lifespan, different stages of the menstrual cycle, pre, pre-menopausal women, postmenopausal women, women during pregnancy, women not during pregnancy. So all of these different areas really need to be kind of um, isolated uh, a little bit more. Um, and just understanding more about the gut microbiome in general. I mean, over the past five, 10 years, this area has Massively, massively exploded anyway. Um, but, and you know, you might see on the market now loads more of these like microbiome tests, which people can do at home. Um, just to say, I mean, I'm sure lots of people listening. Uh, might have a similar opinion, I don't know, but you know, we don't typically recommend these gut microbiome tests just yet, just because the evidence is not quite there to be able to draw accurate and reliable conclusions from these tests. Um, and actually, a lot of these home microbiome tests—they're not even approved by the FDA. Uh, there's risks of inaccurate results, and you know, we're not yet able to identify or know exactly what. You know, if, if for example you had a low number of X bacteria and I had a high number of that same bacteria, that doesn't mean that you're unhealthy and I'm healthy. It just means you have a lower number and I have a higher number because that high or low number may interact very differently with all the other trillions of bacteria in your gut. And the interaction is still a healthy one and a happy one, but it doesn't necessarily mean that just because it's a low number that uh, you're you're like unhealthy or or the gut isn't functioning as it should, if that kind of makes sense. So we do kind of warn against these microbiome tests. And the key area is to just try and look after your gut health as best as possible by nurturing and feeding the gut microbiome. So that's the community of trillions of bacteria which live inside the large intestine in particular. And they are responsible for breaking down and fermenting all of our dietary fiber, which we otherwise don't have the ability to break down in our small intestine. And this fermentation process, as well as producing gas, can form all sorts of beneficial molecules and compounds known as short chain fatty acids, which kind of get sent all around the body, affecting our heart health, our skin health, our our brain health, our kidney health. And so because now we know our immune health, I should say as well, because you know 70% of our immune system, our immune cells are found within the lining of the gut. 90% of our serotonin is made within our gut. So because we now know that we have all these different axes, I suppose, or connections between gut and brain, gut and immunity, gut and hormone, I think that is really a key, key area where we want to be doing more research in.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. You know, there's a lot of um, progression in the research of the gut microbiome, but also in female health um, in recent years. Um, But looking at those subgroups and really digging down into how um, there can be interactions with all our systems in the body, but in different people, this can look so different such an interesting area we could have another whole conversation on it I'm sure
3: yeah I think so (laughs)
2: um so we've just got one last question we ask all of our guests on the podcast um we'd like to know what is one thing that you do to love your gut
3: oh this was such a hard one to think of just one thing so I'm going to tell you a few (laughs) (laughs) um so I mean I think As I hope I've made it clear during this little little chat that we've had, you know, improving gut health is not down to one specific thing. It really is due to a combination of things. It's multifactorial. And so if possible, trying to focus on several different aspects of your diet, your lifestyle, your mental health is the best sort of combination that you can do to really look after your gut health. So I guess the number one thing for me is I really do try to uh, eat diversity. So in particular, sort of plant diversity. Now, that does not mean that we all have to eat a plant-only diet, so a vegan diet or anything like that. It just means incorporating more plants into your diet. This came. This all came off the back of this massive study done in America called the Gut Microbiome Study, where they essentially found that people who ate 30 or more different plant-based foods per week had a far more diverse gut microbiome compared to those who ate less than 10. And a more diverse gut microbiome makes us more capable and resilient and therefore kind of a healthier gut overall. And, you know, plant points include all of our different fruits, our vegetables, our whole grain carbohydrates our beans, our pulses, our lentils, our nuts and our seeds, and also our herbs and our spices. So I think we all get caught into a routine or a habit of eating similar foods. You know, most weeks, you always, you know, I always reach for the clementines in the supermarket. Uh, You know, you might always kind of have just brown rice. um, But it's really important to try and start mixing that up a little bit. So going for different types of fruit, uh, you know, I've now started grating porridge, uh, grating oat. Uh, oh my goodness, grating carrots into my porridge for my overnight oats, um, and you know, mixing brown rice with wild rice just to really start to get as much diversity into your diet as possible. So, I suppose that really would be the key thing. Just to give you an insight into some other things that I do as well to look after my gut health. So, you know, drinking two liters of fluid every day. You won't see me anywhere without my reusable water bottle. I really try and prioritise my eight hours of sleep or more. I literally cannot function unless. Um, And I, you know, as well as many, many other things, I really try to practice yoga and meditate as often as I can. I've set myself a challenge for September of meditating every single day because I really start to notice when I haven't meditated, you know, We, throughout our whole childhood, throughout our whole education, we are told about the importance of physical exercise, PE lessons, to exercise our body. It still baffles me as to why we're not educated on the importance of exercising our mental health. Because, you know, looking after our mental health is one of the most important things we can do. Not just for our overall health, but particularly, you know, for our gut health. So I suppose those are some of the key things that I do to really look after my gut and love my gut.
1: It's always nice to see how our guests respond differently to that question, Uh, (laughs) whether it's changes to nutrition, diet, or in terms of your answer, Caitlin, some lifestyle changes that can really impact how we love our gut. So we have reached the end of our episode today. Uh, Once again, it's been great talking to you, Caitlin. And if you want to see more from Caitlin and from her work, don't forget to follow at The Mission Dietitian on her social channels or visit her website at www.caitlincolucci.com. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Matters podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, don't forget to follow and rate us and visit our website at yakult.co.uk forward slash HCP to make sure that you don't miss out on any future episodes. See you next time.